As your pastor, I want one thing for you. I want one thing. And that's that you fall in love with Jesus more and more and more and more. That is the one thing that I want. Because the thing is, is that if... Um, Jesus commanded us in Mark uh, 12, uh, 30 and 31. He summed up everything that's written in the Bible with this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. How many of you know that right now is kind of a hard time to love some of our neighbors, right? It's kind of hard. A lot of drama happening, a lot of stuff. I don't know if you guys watched the debate the other night. Woo, something else, right? A lot of stuff happening, right? And it's really, really hard for us to love our neighbors. But if we love Jesus and we get his vision for the world, his vision for people, his vision for humanity. They're lost, they're broken, they're in need of a savior, they're in need of love. When I love Jesus, he allows me to love my neighbor, right? And so Jesus wants us to love God and love our neighbors. And when we love the Lord, the Spirit transforms us. The Holy Spirit transforms us. And Second Corinthians five seventeen says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. How many of you guys have anything in your life that you did that you're not proud of? That you're not happy with? That you wish, man, I wish I could go back and fix that. Well, the Bible teaches us that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. We have a fresh start in Jesus. And because of that, we can love him and we go to him. And so my goal for you, my hope for you is that you love Jesus more and more and more, that the Spirit transforms you from the inside out, that you become more and more capable of loving your neighbor. And when you do that, when you follow the lead of the Holy Spirit, we start to see fruits. Galatians talks about, or evidences that the Spirit is leading us. In Galatians 5, it says that those evidences are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How many of you think I could use a little more of that nowadays? I really, really could. And so this is all because we love Jesus more. When we love Jesus, he changes our identity. But is it possible to love someone that you don't know? Is it possible? Is it possible to love someone? I mean, yeah, I could love the idea of someone, but, but like to really, really love them, like I need to get to know them. Back in the day, courtship was more uh, was far more formal than it is today you had to talk to her parents and you had to go visit their house and you had to put on your best suit and you had to shake hands and sit in the front parlor and like have a conversation with her father before she even let you go on a date right like that that's how it happened it was far more formal today couples just kind of start hanging out and that hanging out leads to more hanging out and then that hanging out leads to more hanging out. And so if one day they wake up and we're like, hey, you know what? We might as well get married because we're hanging out that much now, right? Like that's kind of how it is today. But back then it was really different. They had to correspond with each other. They wrote handwritten letters. And when's the last time you wrote a handwritten personal letter? Anybody? Just fire it away. Just give it to me. When's the last time you wrote a handwritten? You sat down at a desk 
put your thoughts together in your mind and wrote them out with your hand. We don't do that anymore. We don't do that anymore. Everything is by text. Everything is like, I'm just going to text her. And nowadays, we don't even text with words. You know, instead of saying, hey, do you want to go out for a burger? We just give a burger emoji and a question mark, right? Like, that's what we do nowadays. It's, we've lost this idea of we have to communicate with one another. And when we communicate with one another, we learn about each other. And when we learn about each other, we grow in love. Many scholars think that the digital nature of our communication today is the largest transition in human, human interaction since the printing press. Since the printing press. Some of you guys are old enough to remember when color TVs came out, Right? Some of you guys are old enough to remember, you know, when cell phones came out. I'm of the age where your parents just didn't give you a cell phone. Like, I had to go buy my first cell phone, right? And some of you younger guys are like, oh, that's terrible. Like, why would you even want to do that, you know? But communication has changed. But since we've gotten more digital and you've gotten text and people are doing Facebook and things like that, we just communicate differently. We've changed the way we communicate. It used to be the longer the letter the more infatuated the person was with you. In courtship, couples would write long letters to each other as a means of getting to know one another. They would start with like basic facts and early letters like, hey, this is what I want to do with my life. This is where I see I'm I'm going, who I am, where I'm from, what's happening. And they would slowly open themselves up to reveal the deepest secrets of their heart for one another. I have an excerpt from a letter written in October 5th, 1780. Some of you guys have seen the musical Hamilton. This is a letter that Hamilton wrote to his future wife, Elizabeth Schuyler. Here's what he says. You engross my thoughts too entirely to allow me to think of anything else. You not only employ my mind all day, but you intrude upon my sleep. I meet you in every dream, and when I I wake, I cannot close my eyes again for ruminating on your sweetness. Gentlemen, we might have to step up our games. That was something else, right? And so that this communication, this talking, this going back and forth would happen all the time. However, nowadays, the longer the text message is that you get, the angrier the person is. Lee's laughing because he knows where this is going. The angrier the person is with you. I actually have a chart. This is a scientific evidence chart. Length of the text message, level of anger. And it just goes up and up and up and up and up and up. And then at some point it goes quiet. And that's when you know you're really in trouble, right? When they are no longer talk to you anymore. But it seems like the more we write and the longer that text message is, it just gets, it's just different nowadays. We live in a time where people don't even read articles anymore. We just read the title of the article that someone posted on social media, and then we rage in the comments, right? You guys ain't know anybody like that. That happens too. We also live in a time, and this is the title of today's message, where TL semicolon DR is a thing. Do you guys, anybody know what this is? TL semicolon DR. This is internet shorthand. Because apparently it takes too long to say, too long, didn't read. That's what it stands for. T-L, too long, D-R, didn't read. And for some of us, this is how we approach 
like communication as an entirely. When we see written communication, when we have written communication to us, whether it's a, an article or a long text or, you know, the letters in the mail. I don't know about you guys. I, I checked my mail since I was gone on vacation. We had this much mail in our mailbox, and this is about how big our mailbox is, by the way. We had this much mail in our mailbox. Do you know how many letters were actually, like, bills or real correspondence? Three. Of this much paper... Three letters were actual correspondence. Too long, didn't read. And for some of us, this is our approach to the communication that God gives us about himself. It's too long. I don't have time to read it. But Jesus, I want you to fall more and more in love with Jesus. I want you to learn about him. I want you to know him. I want you to, to, to experience him in new ways because I believe that he can transform your life. The Spirit of God can transform your life. If your marriage is falling apart, the Spirit can transform your life. If you're having problems at school or with your kids or with your parents, the God can transform your life. But if we look at the Bible, we look at his word and we say too long didn't read I'm not going to take the time to know him so that I can love him more and so that I can become more and more of what he wants me to be and so in this series, we're going to talk about the Bible. We're going to talk about why it's important to us. We're going to look at God's communication to us, his correspondence with us, the letters that he wrote to us to show us about his character, to give him, us his deep thoughts about life and, and the universe and how we love and how we live. And so we are going to let God transform us. We're not going to look at this book and say, oh, well, T-L-D-R, we're going to say, God, I want you to transform me. Without God's word, you cannot love Jesus. Without God's word, you cannot love Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. You can love the idea of Jesus, what you think Jesus is, what you think Jesus is like. You can kind of come up with an idea of who he is in your mind. Before you met your spouse, did you have an idea of what your spouse would be like? Absolutely. Like, I had an idea. Okay, yeah, she's going to be like this, whatever, whatever. But I had no idea some of the specifics that Liz would be like. I didn't know the specifics of what God put her together and why God was putting her in my life until I spent time with her. And so you can't, you, some of us, we have like this construct of Jesus in our mind. It's, it's really our idea of him, our opinion of him, but we don't know if that's really him or not unless we look at his word, unless we look at the Bible and we see what God is really like. Psalms 119 verse 11 says this, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. What is sin? Is it just making mistakes? No. Is it just doing wrong things? No. What is sin? What happens is in the Bible is we live under what's called a covenant covenant. 
This is a formalized relationship. When you get married to someone, you have a covenant with them. You have a formalized relationship, right? And so that's what we live under. When Jesus died on the cross and he rose again, he paid the price for our sin. And when he did that, we are now, when we believe in him, we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, like Romans says, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. When we do that, we enter into a covenant, a formalized relationship with God. Sin is when I break the terms of the covenant. That's what sin is. And so when he says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, what we can understand this is, is I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not break our relationship. And some of us were like, why do I keep making mistakes? Why do I keep falling? Why do I keep failing? Why do I keep messing up? Why can't I get things right? Why can't things come together for me? Why is this? And the, 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 the thing that we can look at is, do we have God's word in our life? Are we allowing it to transform us? Or am I still working on what my opinions and what my thoughts are about it and not letting it dictate to me what I should be doing? I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not break our relationships. Some people want to separate Jesus from the word of God, but we cannot separate Jesus from the word of God. The entirety of the Bible is pointing, is about and points to Jesus. So much so that John, when he's writing his gospel, in the gospel of John, the book of John, the first thing that John says is he ties the name, the word, the title, the word, to the person of Jesus. John 1.1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And Skip down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John ties the name, the word, the title of the word to the person of Jesus. When we separate Jesus from the word, this plays out kind of in two different ways. Some people, when they think about Jesus and they don't want the word, the, the commandments of the Bible, the instructions of the Bible, the parts of the Bible that I feel are rigid and, 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 and judgmental, when I try to separate Jesus from that, what happens is, is I create a, a version of Jesus in my mind that's nice and kind and a laid back person that'll love me no matter what. And I can just keep doing whatever I want to do because he loves me. We can call this, these people the love camp. The Bible then, they see it as a book that's judgmental, it's antiquated, it's got rules that society has just moved beyond, we don't need it anymore, we're all smarter than that now. But this group emphasizes the love of Jesus over the truth of God's word. The other group, is a group that like just is judgmental, that believes that, that the Bible is like, I mean, I'm just here to bash them heads. They're like, spiritually, they walk around. You guys seen that game Whack-A-Mole? Like in the old arcades when the little thing pops up and you got to hit it in the head with a hammer. You know, and the thing pops up and you got to hit it in the head with a hammer and it pops up over here. And they use the Bible 
in a way to where they can have all of their friends, all their family, all their relationships, and as soon as something pops up that, that, that they disagree with, it doesn't even have to necessarily be something that the Bible actually talks about, but if they, something pops up and they disagree with, all of a sudden they're taking the Bible and they're playing whack-a-mole with it with people. This is people who've separated the loving, caring, compassionate, shepherd nature of Jesus from the parts of the Bible that tell us how we're supposed to live. And we can't do one or the other. You know, I quoted Alexander Hamilton earlier. We can talk about uh, Aaron Burr. You guys know who Aaron Burr is? He's the guy that shot Hamilton, right? His grandfather was a famous Puritan preacher named uh, Jonathan Edwards. You might have studied his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, written in 1739 in early American lit. This is Aaron Burr's grandfather. And this is what Jonathan Edwards says. He says, When the great and angry God hath risen up and executed his awful vengeance on the poor sinner, the wretch is actually suffering the infinite weight and power of his indignation. Then will God call upon the whole universe to behold the awful majesty and might and power that is seen in it. Whack-a-mole. That's a different camp. There's a love camp that just says, whatever you want to do, do it. It's all fine. Jesus loves you anyway. There's a truth camp that says we should be all judgmental and all angry with each other. And God does that. But God is not like that. Jesus is not like that. He is both love and grace and truth. He's both. Both ways people have created a version of Jesus that they find more palatable. But it's different than Jesus and himself. In the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, there's a son that wanders away from the father's house. He squanders his inheritance only to become to his senses as he's fallen. He's working in a field, uh, a pit, a pig's sty, and he's fallen so far that now he's got to share his meal with the pigs. And if you know anything about this culture, pigs were unclean animals. You weren't even supposed to touch them, much less share your meal with them. This is how far this kid has fallen. And he comes to his senses. He's like, I got to go back to the father. I got to go back to the father. He, he would have wanted this guy really when he was in his worst, when he was living his worst, when he was being his most selfish and most self-indulgent, he would want a version of Jesus that loved him no matter what. Just keep doing what you're doing. Keep destroying your life. Keep messing up. Keep, keep uh, burning bridges and, and ruining relationships. Keep doing all that because you know what? Jesus just loves you anyway. He is it's fine. But he finally came to a sense, he's like, I can't live like this anymore. I can't break relationships anymore. I need to go back to the Father. So he came to his senses and the Father forgave him. But the story continues that there was an older son, another sibling, a, a brother that, that the prodigal son had. And he became angry at the Father's mercy being showered on his brother that had returned home. And so this is that camp that I'm talking about that's judgmental, that's, that's just angry, that, that, that's always, you know, saying um, ac actually. You know, I talk to my kids. The more sentences you start with actually, the less friends you have. If you're always interrupting someone and correcting them and telling them how it should be. You, you, this is what this brother is doing. So we, ha we see that Jesus takes both grace and mercy and truth and, 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 and judgment and he holds them both at the same time. Ephesians 4 verse 15, he says this, he says, Rather speak the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up every way into him who is the head into Christ. 
When we have the truth and when we have love together, when we are speaking the truth in love, at the same time, we become more and more like Jesus. So is Jesus loving? Absolutely. Does he want you to come home? Absolutely. Does he need the sinner, the lost, the, the broken, the one who's ruined relationships, the one with the past? Does he want you to come back? And, and will he wrap his arms around you? Will he welcome you back? Absolutely. But we have to look at the truth of God's word. We cannot separate truth and love. Just like we cannot separate Jesus from his word. It's both and, not either or. This is most evident in John chapter 8. You guys, some of you guys have heard me preach this, but we're going to dive right into it because it, it, it's talking about what we're talking about today. John 8 verse uh, 2. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him as he sat down and he taught them, the scribes and the Pharisees, these were the really, really, really religious people. They brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Now, let's set the scene. It's early in the morning. They brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Obviously, it, the, the implication here is, is, is that it was the night before. She'd been caught in adultery and placed her in the midst, they said to him. So they bring this woman in her shame, in her guilt, and they roll her out in front of everybody, these religious people. They put her in front of everybody and, as, as, to judge her, but really to trap Jesus. And they said, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now the law, the Bible, the law, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. But Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. The Bible doesn't say what he wrote. It's going to be my first question when I get to heaven. Jesus, what'd you write? Right? He wrote on the ground. This is like a, the ultimate, like, I don't have to answer that question. I'm just going to write on the ground. I'm just going to draw a picture. It's probably like a doodle. He wrote with his finger on the ground. And then he, uh, they continued to ask him. And he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone. If you like the King James Version, let him without sin cast the first stone. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, the wiser ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up in her and said, Woman, where are they now? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No, Lord, no one. And Jesus said this, neither do I condemn you. Now, a lot of people will stop reading this story right there. They'll stop right there and they'll be like, oh, well, let him without sin cast the first stone. Nobody can judge anybody, whatever, whatever, whatever. But Jesus continues and he says this, go. From now on, sin no more. Neither do I condemn you and sin no more. 
I love you. I don't condemn you. Go, live beyond this moment of shame and guilt, but sin no more. Stop breaking God's relationship with you. The love of Jesus and the truth of his word in the same place, in the same story at the same time. This is what we see. And so for us, we have to say, I, I, I need to look at his word. I know that Jesus is loving. I know that he's going to accept me. I know that he's going to call me back. But I have to look at his word and I have to say, what does this word say about my life that I need to change? What does this word say about my life that I need to do different? What does this world say about my wor- this world, uh, this word say about my worldview that I need to look at differently? How do I need to let it shape me. This is how we go and sin no more. This is how we live a life that's transformed. When the Spirit of God speaks to my spirit through the Word of God, I become a new person. In this series, More Than a Story, we're going to learn about uh, how to study God's Word. That's the, with a goal that, that His Word will lead us into a deeper relationship with Jesus. Each week we're going to have a 30,000 foot view of a section of the Bible. We're going to talk about like the prophets and the gospels. We're going to look at why it's there, how to study it, and what we can learn for it. And my challenge to you today is that when you look at this book, we stop saying T-L-D-R. Too long, didn't read. And I allow it to transform me to become more and more like Jesus. I allow God to speak to me through his word. Psalms 119 verse 105. Psalms 119 is a fantastic uh, Bible verse or Bible chapter just talking about the word of God. We've already read uh, another verse earlier today, but verse 105 says this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So I've got three questions for you today. The first is this. How are you with God's word? How are you with God's word? Is it, is it something that you, you read? Is it something that um, you're, you're studying? I mean, sometimes you just got to start somewhere. Sometimes you got to start with a verse of the day that gets emailed to you. If that's where you are, start there. Just start somewhere. Start somewhere. You don't have to be like, oh, I'm going to start in Genesis and I'm going to read 15, 20 chapters a day. You don't have to do that. Just start reading a verse. Start reading the Gospel of John. Start reading something. Start somewhere and allow God to speak to you and transform you. When you read the Bible, don't read it like you would a history book or like a... um, like just some... like an email. Like some of us are like, well, let me get the information out of it, you know. Like don't do that. What we have to do when we read the Bible is we read it prayerfully. What does that mean? Does that mean that you need to say like a long prayer, God, you know, I pray that you did. No, no. What it means is you just approach it and say, God, I believe that you're trying to speak to me today through your word. And I just pray that you would just call out things from, from, what, from what's written that needs to speak to my spirit, that, I, that need, I need to change, that I need to transform, and that I need to become more like you. Read prayerfully. How are you with God's word today? Are you using it? As a, as a, 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 a tool of whack-a-mole. Are you using it as, as something that you can beat people over the head with? That you can judge people with? That you can show them how angry God is with them? Showing them a different picture of what than Jesus actually was? Is, is, are you finding yourself sitting in judgment of other people 
because of how they sin. And really what I found is that typically when we sit in judgment of other people of how they sin, we're just really judging the fact that they sin differently than us. Their sin is different than ours. It's not that I don't have any sin when I'm judging other people. I'm just judging that their sin is different than the sin that I have. So are you judging other people constantly? Are you using God's word to beat people over the head? Or are you not dealing with your own sin? Do you need a savior? Do you find yourself as the brother who has gone off and, 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 and been away from God and distant from God and find yourself making all these mistakes and you need to come home to the Father? Or do you find yourself as the, 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 his other brother that, that says, you know, why, why would God even pull people like that back? Where are you today? Where are you with God's word today?